But it's a great little segue because today we're talking about rest. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know I'm talking, we're talking our way through the Ten Commandments. We started off by looking at thou shalt not covet and talked about God's call for each one of his people to not be looking around and comparing and just be grateful for the life God gives you, which is otherwise known as contentment, and asking that God would just fill your life full of stories of his glory. God, I don't need somebody else's life. I just want you to be in my life majorly. That's the the call of that commandment. We also spent a few weeks looking at God's command that we would have no other gods beside, beside him because God wants this awesome, exclusive, powerful, passionate, loyal love relationship with us and that uh, he wants us to be the biggest thing in his life because he sacrificed his son to have us. He really does love us and he wants us to be in this great, uh, loyal love relationship with him. And then last week we talked about, uh, we were looking at the fourth commandment, which is about the Sabbath and how God assumes that we'll be working throughout our lives and that we're, we're not, we weren't created just to, to sleep all day, but God actually has made us to work, to change the world in a little way or sometimes in a bigger way, but that we'd be working with him by faith, working to him as our boss, as the God of our life, working for him as the one who uh, pays our bills and provides for us and just doing that by faith. But today we're going to be looking at Sabbath rest. So I would like to uh, read scripture with you. But before I do that, I do want to repent about something I said. And I don't remember if I said it last week or the week before that. But in one of the messages, I was talking about um, the scripture where Paul says that God sends his spirit amongst us and works miracles amongst us as we believe his word by faith. And I was talking about just growing in an expectation. As we believe God's word is true, God moves by his Holy Spirit. And I was just, I was trying to encourage us not to decide beforehand what God needs to do, but just to say what you want to do, do this morning. And I had made a comment about everybody just wanting a healing, but, and then I said something like, even if you do get healed, you'll still have troubles. And I was just convicted that that was a little bit hard-hearted, like if there's somebody here in pain this morning, that, that could, that would have sounded hard-hearted, and I regret that. But also, I actually want God to heal people too. And I, I, I want him to heal while I'm speaking. Uh, sorry, I'm charismatic. I, that I'm not. There's no going back for me. I, it's a done deal. It's like I, they threw me in the dye, and I came out purple, and it, it's not going to change. Um, and I, so I believe it. And so when I read Acts and how Peter was preaching, and the spirit fell just during his talk, I was like, okay, God does that. Just sometimes He lets you know the message is over because He's doing things. And so I want that. I want that because I think that that's how God um, can move. Just as we're believing his word, he is working and supplying his spirit amongst us. That's from Galatians chapter 3. And so I just, I repent for, for just having a bit of a harsh joke about that harsh attitude. And I want God's best for us together. So let's read God's word together. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy, the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And I'm also going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Deuteronomy chapter 5, God says to Israel, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, 
or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this holy time where we gather around your word as a church at Calvary Chapel. Thank you that you love this church and have been faithful to her, um, that you correct and lead and guide and empower and fill us. And Father, I just thank you for your word, your scripture, which is the word of God, full of the authority of God and the power of God and the promises of God. And Father, as we believe your word, as I speak by faith your word, as your word is, is listened to and heard with faith, I pray that in a new way you would supply your spirit to us. You'd be moving amongst us and working miracles in your midst. And God, I pray you do every kind of thing. Would you exalt the name of Jesus by touching people's minds and bodies and setting them free? Father, I pray that you would exalt the name of Jesus by taking away wrong thinking that hinders us from following you in the fullness of faith and supplying to us and and working into our minds the truth so that we can serve you and love you and walk with you the way you want, with hearts overflowing, with gratitude and fruitfulness. So, Lord, these things are impossible for me. I cannot accomplish them in the flesh, but I am looking to the living Christ to do these things. I call upon the name of Jesus for this time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So the Sabbath, the Sabbath, that that Sabbath, um, it is, just so you're aware, one of the areas of life that have been most controversial and confusing for the people of God throughout the history of God's people from the, pretty much the day that the Sabbath was given. Um, what to do with the Sabbath? What are you allowed to do on the Sabbath? What are you not supposed to do with the Sabbath? To the point that when um, Jesus was on the earth, one of the things he got into the most fights about was the Sabbath and repeatedly accused of breaking it. Um, and even in the history of the church, one of the things, you know, Christians... Um, disagree about a lot of things, and I mean real Christians. I don't mean the, the ones that just are hauling that name around and have nothing to do with believing anything in the Bible. But real Christians, genuine Christians throughout history have really disagreed about what we should do with the Sabbath day. Everything from like Seventh-day Adventists who say we have to do church on the Sabbath and take a Sabbath on that day to people who just say kind of like, what's a Sabbath? You know, they just, it, it doesn't mean anything and everything in between. And um, this is a real deal. You, I mean, j- just think about what you do for your day of rest, and then think about the story of, I think his name is Eric Liddell, or Eric Little, who was that um, missionary slash Olympic runner who went to the Olympics in like the eight, 1918 or something like this, um, or maybe in between the two world wars. And they had scheduled his race for a Sunday. And so he refused to race. So I don't... I don't I don't run on Sundays. That's the Sabbath. And so he actually got out of that competition and went into a different one that he'd never trained for because he just refused to 
work on the Sabbath. And so here's this guy's faith. He got gold, by the way. Chairs of fire, doon, 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 people on the beach. You know, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie, actually. Um, I think that they honor him well. And then, you know, he won his medal and I think went to China and died there um, serving the people of God. Anyhow, that was his faith. Would you give up winning a gold medal for the Sabbath? Okay, so there's so much um, differentiation. There's so much different, so many different opinions. So I want to talk about the Sabbath today, and maybe I will help bring a little bit more clarity. Um, I don't always bring more clarity to issues when I preach, but maybe today will be one of those days where that happens. Um, But let's start. So what exactly was the Sabbath day? Well, the Sabbath day was a command from God that on Saturday they would not work or make anybody else work for them. Uh, The Israelite people, as I understand it, they saw their days as going from sunset to sunset. So in North America, we see our days as going from 12 o'clock to 12 o'clock, right? So days tick over while you're sleeping. And they saw, based on Genesis 1, I think, where when the seven days of creation, it would say a night and a day, the first day, they would say, okay, so it starts in the evening. Or there was evening, there was morning, the first day. So they'd say, oh, it starts in the evening. So they would actually probably about Friday night, as the sun goes down, they'd say, Sabbath starts, so we're not doing any work. They'd go to bed, they'd wake up, and then they would um, have their day of rest. And then when sunset hits, they would be free to get their homework done before school tomorrow or whatever it would be. But that's how they would do it, Sabbath to Sabbath. And my understanding from um, stories I heard about people who've gone to modern-day Israel is that that's how they do their Sabbath. And if I'm totally wrong, then forgive me, but so that when the sun goes down on Saturday, then they they start to party again or whatever because they've been having their Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, and then once the days goes off. Now, Sabbath-keeping for... um, the Jewish people or the Israelite people throughout history has been one of, the, one of the big things that they just argue about and try to figure out what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, what constitutes work or what doesn't constitute work. And so they, they have sometimes come to very interesting conclusions that would seem bizarre to some people. And I'm not sharing this to mock anybody, but just so you know. So <clears throat> more recently, I think there's been some convictions that you like can't turn on a light as part of the Sabbath because that would be work. Even though for us, turning on a light seems like unwork. You know, like you don't have to. It's the easiest thing in the world. And so, you know, if you're going to look in the fridge for the Sabbath the night before, you have to turn, take, unscrew the light bulb from the fridge so that when you open it up, the light doesn't go on. Because if you turned on the light, that would be um, doing work. It's Sabbath-breaking, so it's just that kind of stuff. And then, again, looking in Jesus' day, so many arguments about what does or doesn't break the Sabbath. So Jesus could go into a church where a guy has a withered hand, and he can't use his hand, and he would say, stretch out your hand, and it would get healed, and they say, look, you broke the Sabbath. I'm not sure exactly who was doing the work there, that it's Sabbath-breaking for someone's hand to be healed, but that was the contention. Or if somebody was a paraplegic on a Sabbath, Jesus would come to him so he can't walk or whatever. He's lying on a mat, and Jesus says, pick up your mat and go, like go home. And which is great, except that he's carrying a mat, which apparently was breaking the Sabbath. So here's this guy who like minutes ago couldn't even move and he's doing the, his happiest work he's ever done in his life. I can tell you that much. And people are upset because it's Sabbath breaking. And so um, there's all these conflicts about exactly what to do. 
So I'm just giving you a picture of the complexity of thinking about the Sabbath throughout human history. Jesus was very, he got frustrated with the rigidity, the legalism about Sabbath breaking, one time rebuked the Pharisees and just said, look guys, God did not invent the Sabbath. He didn't invent people to keep the Sabbath. He invented the Sabbath for people. It's not like God was sitting around going, I've got this day of rest. What am I going to do with it? Like it's just me resting on, on Saturdays and it's such a great day, this day of rest, that I need just way more things resting on it. So I'm going to invent people and I'm going to just say, hey, rest, man. And if they don't, I'm going to really freak out because it's like, this is the Sabbath. I made you to keep the Sabbath. It was the other way around. Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to his image bearers in the world who are made in such a way that we need to sleep. We need rest. You can't work forever. Most of us can hardly even get through a day, right? But um, I think the world record is 11 days awake. And by the time you start hitting day 9 and 10 and 11, you start hallucinating and kind of your body starts going into shock and you can die. There's this guy, I think in China, I was reading a news report, they found him dead and he had, his ambition was to watch the entire European football tournament that was going on. And so it was like a week long or two weeks long, sorry. And he died in the midst of it, just trying to stay awake to watch every game. And so we, we were made to rest. And so this, this idea of a Sabbath day was meant to be a gift. And especially to the Israelites who had just spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, it was meant to be a gift to them. Look, you're not slaves anymore. You're going to just take a day and rest. And this is going to be a sign between us that I have freed you from slavery. I'm not actually taking you into worse slavery. I'm your, I'm your savior, God, not your enslaver, God. So this is what they're talking about. Uh, one day from Friday night to Saturday where you don't do work. So one of the big questions for Christians is, do we have to do this? With the underlining question being, have to. Do we have to do this? And the answer is, I think, quite obviously no, based on what I read to you out of Colossians. I'll read it again. The Apostle Paul, he's talking about and preaching the greatness of Jesus and all of everything that Jesus accomplished for us. He says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So don't let anybody judge you based on what you're doing with the Sabbath or not doing with the Sabbath. Since these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So obviously, if Paul is saying, no one can judge you for what you're doing or not doing on the Sabbath, obviously God is not expecting us to be righteous by Sabbath keeping. This is not a life or death, eternal life or death issue. If Paul is saying, don't get judged about this thing. People will want to judge you about it. People will want to condemn you about it. Don't let them do it. So there you go. Feel free. But there is actually really great wisdom in keeping us Sabbath to the Lord as a get-to instead of a have-to. I get to keep a Sabbath unto the Lord as a way of knowing Christ. Well, what I'd like to do is I would like to start talking about what Paul means by saying that the Sabbath was a shadow of something that was coming, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, when Jesus was on the earth, he, he said to people, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus came to be the great rest giver. 
Okay? Can we agree on that? Jesus came to give people rest. He says, come to me, everybody who's burnt out, worn down, stressed out, freaking out, condemned, guilty, shame-filled. Come to me and I will give you real rest. I'm, he's the rest giver. And so Paul, I'm saying the similar kind of thing, says when people are talking about not eating things and not drinking things and, and having this celebration and that new moon and that Sabbath, um, that was about Jesus. So you can't get condemned for being in Jesus for not doing something that was about Jesus. And let, so let me give you a little picture that helps work with shadows. Have you ever seen those things like uh, people doing finger shadow puppets? Have you ever done that before? This is, this is a dog. Well, you take a lamp and you shine it on the head. It's a dog. Okay, you can, well, the, the, that looks a little bit too much like a firearm, so I'm not going to do it, just in case somebody's going to get triggered. So you get a lamp and you make shapes with your butterflies and eagles with your, with your hands and the shadow goes up on the wall and you can see things, right? And you can make shapes with your hands. So take that idea of a light shining on something hitting something, and a shadow was cast. And let me take that concept and take it to an airport. Okay, has anybody ever waited for somebody to arrive at an airport before? Like an uncle or an aunt or something like that. And you know that there's this, when people arrive, they, they get off the airplane and they're still in the secure zone. So you can't just meet them at the gate unless you're like some kid's mom or dad. But you have to stay in the outer zone, right? And then there's usually this area where people transition from being in the security zone because they got off the airplane to the common area where people are waiting to pick people up, correct? Are you with me so far? Now imagine that that hallway, there's going to be a hallway, I'm saying there's a hallway, that hallway, which is the transition zone from coming off the airplane to being where people are going to pick you up, has this frosted glass, this kind of white light frosted glass so that you can't see through it, but you can see the light that's hitting it. And imagine that there's this like a ton of this great big spotlight on the other side so that you can see the shadow of everybody who's walking down that hallway to come to the reception area. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so what Paul is, or sorry, what, yeah, what Paul is saying about these events in, of rest in the Old Testament, whether it was like the Passover, where you're supposed to take a week or two off to celebrate, or the Feast of Booths, Pentecost, where you're supposed to take some time off from your work to celebrate, or a Sabbath, where you're supposed to take time off every week to rest in God. He's saying these pictures of Christ are like the shadow of Him walking towards you down that hallway. That's what it means by it was a shadow but the substance of Christ. So Jesus is walking through time to the hallway where in time he's going to finally appear. And you can, the Israelites were shown the shadow of rest to represent Jesus, the Lord of rest coming in human history. And if, you know, if somebody can just watching that Jesus shadow come down the hallway and they're kind of like getting really excited and, the, and they're watching the shadow and then he comes around the corner and there he is for real. What nobody would do is go, where'd the shadow go? Where's my shadow? I need to get back to the shadow. Because the real thing is right here. So you're going, hey, so good to see you. So what'd you bring me? Right? That's what we do when people come from our trips. Oh, so good to see you. Look at the bags. What'd you bring me? You know, I know there's a duty free, so there should be some chocolate in here somewhere. And you're in Mexico, so there should be something nice, like one of those Mexican jumping beans, which probably shouldn't cross borders, but they're really cheap. So you just put it in your, anyhow. What'd you bring me? And that is a picture of New Testament faith. Yay, the real thing is here. What'd you bring me? That, that is 
New Testament Christianity, and I hope you came to church with the spirit of, Jesus, what did you bring me? Because you definitely have not gotten everything out of Jesus that he has to give. Amen? Okay, you can put that one in your pocket. Take it out for later. So there's this picture of the Sabbath representing the Lord as the Lord of rest. And so what I want to do next is I want to back us up in Colossians a little bit from where he's saying the Sabbath is just a picture of Christ. And so you, you shall not be judged by what you do with your rest as a legalistic thing because it's just talking about Jesus. And you're supposed to be trusting Jesus. So Paul is working with this church in, in uh, Colossae. This is a city way back 2,000 years ago. And they've had the gospel preached to them. They came in faith. And, and after Epaphras is working with, the, with them for a while, some other ideas and other teachings are being presented which are taking away their pure and unadulterated trust in, in Christ, saying that, you know, you've got to do other things. If you really want to be spiritual, you, it would really hurt if you, you know, hurt your body or something like that. You know, just be mean to yourself. And you've got to keep all these rules and all this stuff. And, and Paul sees that happening. And so he's laboring for them to really, really, really fight to just have all of their trust be in the king of rest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to really rest in him. And so in chapter 2 of verse 6, he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so he's saying you were presented a Christ who is so everything, you don't need anything. So walk in him, live in him, be rooted in him, grow up in him, be established in him. Just him, 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 okay? And he's going to continue, go from there. So he's saying, see that no one takes you captive. Where do you get taken captive? By philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so he's saying, Christians, you live in a world where people are constantly going to be trying to tell you things or convince you of things that are going to get into your mind that are going to steal away from you your resting dwelling trusting in christ so that you can trust in people whether it's yourself or somebody else that's the only two options you're either just consumed with the lord of rest and totally being built up and living in him or you're looking to somebody that's the truth and so he goes on from there and he says for in him meaning christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority what's he talking about there he's saying everything that it means to be god everything that god is is in the body of christ is the lord jesus christ that man who hung on the cross is everything it means to be god and you're filled in him hello so let me give you a picture because this is so huge I was, I was kind of losing it a little bit on the first service because they were, people were just listening, and it was great, great listening going on, but I was just like from over here, I was like, if this is real, we need to do something. You should be jumping right now, or something like that. Sometimes I think that, don't feel stressed out like I have expectations. <laughs> the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ, dwells, present tense, right now. Everything it means to be God is in the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ or is connected with it, is unified with it, and you have been filled in him, okay? So the human experience is just to know that we're weak. The human experience is to know that we're broken. And there's like, we say this is a dog-eat-dog world. We're all competing against each other. And some of us are, are really good at kind of trying to overcome our brokenness. And we have Olympics so that they can get these shiny gold medals, which they get taxed on like crazy because, hey, 
Way to go. And so, you know, they prove by doing a triple Lutz or a 720 in a half pipe, they prove that they're a little bit less broken than the rest of us, but then they get old and die just like everybody else. But we know that we're weak. We know that we're needy. We know there is something deeply and profoundly wrong with us. Have you come to believe that yet? That is the human experience. That is one thing you share with everybody in this room. We know we, we have a problem. And it's really big. And we're, we're, we're empty. We're like um, trying to hold water inside of a spaghetti strainer. Have you ever used a spaghetti strainer before? It's just full of holes, which is great for straining spaghetti because the water goes through and the spaghetti strain stains, stays in. But as far as like holding water, spaghetti strainers are useless. Paul says we're, we're clay pots, we're broken pots. But this is the same idea. And so we go through life and we're like, how do I hold the water? I'm like a spaghetti strainer. We take, maybe if I get some chewing gum, I'll put the chew, or maybe a little glue here. And, you know, we're kind of patching it and holding it. And the little Dutch boy with the dike and just trying to keep all the water in there. And it, it still flows out. But sometimes we feel like, my water's flowing out a little less slow than your water. You should read my book. How to have the water flow out a little less fast. By Dr. Robert Balfour, PhD, MD. Got both of them. I'm better than you. Right? Look to me. I'm a person. Right? Okay? And so what Paul is saying, there's a totally different way of doing things. Okay, so take that idea of you're in the kitchen. I love being in the kitchen. And you go, you're a spaghetti strainer. And there's this thing called a kitchen sink, right? And there's water. You turn on the tap for the water to fill up. And you plug the bottom. You've got those little pluggy things in there. Okay, so imagine that Jesus Christ in this picture is the kitchen sink. He's this human person, this body that actually holds water because he's sinless and perfect. He actually holds the water. And the water is Godness. The water is the deity. And Jesus is so full that he is overflowing. He is right up to the top and overflowing and running onto the counter and down, ruining your cupboards and in underneath all the line, linoleum and that thing's getting, he's into the basement and into the sump pump. He is overflowing with everything Godness. He is overflowing with the almightiness of God and the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the holiness of God and the power of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God, everything it means to be the Father, He is filled up to overflowing in His human self. That is who Christ is. What happens to the spaghetti strainer if you put it into the sink? Bloop. It's full. It's totally full. Why? Because the spaghetti strainer is wonderful? No, it's inside the fullness of water, which is the sink. And so Paul is in prison, preaching to this church saying, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. Everything it means to be God is Jesus and you are filled in Him. What could anybody have to offer you? Well, I'm better because I take a day off. No, you're already full. You cannot add anything to full. That's the point of full what the word means it means when you're at the gas station and your thing goes full if they keep pulling the trigger you're paying for what's going on the ground and that's when you go i'm not paying for that because it was full that's what full means there's no more room so what paul is laboring to say to these people there is no more room for making you more righteous there's no more room because you're in the fullness of god in christ 
And he goes on from there. He says, you're the true circumcision. God has done something to you that cuts off your flesh, that cuts off the sinful nature. You are baptized into Jesus' death. You are raised again with Christ through your faith in him. Your sins were nailed to the cross in Christ. The debt of your transgressions was put on the cross and killed with Christ. You went into the grave with Christ. You come out of the grave with Christ. And now all of your spiritual enemies, every single one of them, not only are disarmed against you through the righteousness of Christ, but they're publicly humiliated in their attempts to destroy you through Christ because you are one with Him. Somebody praise Him. Amen? You don't have to stand up, though. It would totally be appropriate if you did. That's what he's laboring to say. He's laboring to just convince this church about the fullness of God in Christ, that God has done everything necessary through the life, death, resurrection, and current reign of Christ, and that he has freely given you everything by grace. Just You're, you're full. You're full, Christian. You're full, Christian. You're full. You're full. And I need to hear this stuff, and you need to hear this stuff, because deep down... Our minds have been taken captive by an earthly philosophy, haven't them? We, we judge ourselves, we judge other people by a standard and a measure that doesn't just say, full in Christ, now living by joy and trust in Jesus in this life. Just rooting in Him, walking in Him. We've got measurements, we've got standards, we've got isms to compare ourselves to, we've got current waves, we've got other churches, we've got other people in church measuring, analyzing, B minus. <laughs> Room to improve. Not full. Stupid computer. Are you with me? Yeah. That we're all vulnerable to this. Somebody coming along saying, you're not full. And us going, really? Really? Oh, oh, oh. oh crumbs, what do, what do I got to do? Got to take a Sabbath. Don't do no work. Don't turn on a light bulb. Don't start your oven. If you do, it's over. Now, having said that, I want to take us into the Old Testament where somebody actually really severely was punished for not Sabbath-keeping. And I want to answer the question, what was going on there? Because if you just take what I'm saying and then you read the Old Testament, you might just be really confused. And as much as I actually do enjoy confusing people in general, I don't like doing it from the front. So I want to try to alleviate some of that right now. So in Numbers chapter 15, there's this story, and I'll read this story to you, starting in verse 32. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, so they're walking around the desert, they haven't gone into the promised land yet, they, tr- they were told to, they wouldn't, now they're in this waiting time. It says, the people were in the, the wilderness, and they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody, because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded. That that's pretty severe in one sense, eh? So he's he's he goes, maybe wakes up in the morning, just feels like could use some sticks. Stick pile's a little low. I'll just go out there and get me some stickers. Stickerudus, sticky sticks. And it's the death of him. What's going on here? 
Because if you're a typical North American, you, you, don't, you're, you don't find it too hard to kind of judge God and how he rules the world. As I, as I you know, watch a TV show every once in a while, I notice that, that typically the characters in TV shows are totally justified whenever they're railing against God. It's like, wow, could God let this happen? He's so bad. And there's never like a, actually God is good moment. It's like, yeah, I know. He, if there is a God, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so that's typical culture. That's typical man-made philosophy. Let's all judge God together. And so let's not do that, okay? And so um, let's, let's get to the reality of this story. This person who was out there breaking the Sabbath by gathering sticks, they had been in Egypt. They had been a slave for most of their life to the Egyptians. They had seen Moses come and destroy Egypt with ten fantastic plagues, everything from turning the Nile red to making the sun go out for just Egypt while it was still light in Goshen, including the death of the firstborns. He, with his own feet, walked through the Red Sea as God upheld the ocean in walls beside them, and he saw the destruction of the Egyptian army. He also saw Moses go up onto the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments, among other laws, while the mountain blazed with fire and the angels' trumpets went, and he covenanted, we will obey this thing. And he also managed to survive the whole process problem with the golden calf as these people made an idol and called it Yahweh while Moses was up on the mountain and he came back and had mercy on them because he really should have destroyed them all if he just let his holiness go. And so in the midst of this, he's wandering around the desert with the people and he's not just in the desert. This isn't a family camping trip. They are being led by a pillar of cloud that turns into fire in the night because God's presence is with them. Every day he sees the presence of God in a pillar of fire. And for some reason, even though everybody else in the entire million-person country is taking the day off, he thinks it's okay for him just to kind of ignore the rules so he can get his fix. The only reason this would ever happen is because this individual has a really hard heart of unbelief. He can literally see the presence of God in a cloud of fire, and he thinks that sticks are more important today. I got to have them today. And I cannot imagine why he would need sticks to make some food. God makes food fall from the sky for free every single day. It's just there. To start a fire... In the night when you might need a fire, God is a pillar of fire. You could just walk up to the pillar and from like a hundred feet away, you'd still be sweating. Why would you ever need the sticks? And the reason the response is so severe, how I read the Old Testament usually is if somebody dies in the Old Testament, their physical unbelief is being met with a physical consequence. But for us, we should see their spiritual unbelief as a sign of a spiritual consequence. If you and I are so full of unbelief that we cannot rest in Christ because we need to go and gather some sticks, there is a spiritual deadness in us that we don't see. Amen? That's what this, this story is teaching Christians. If I just have to go and gather my sticks and I cannot take a day off and just trust in the living Jesus, there is a spiritual deadness in me that needs to be addressed. Does that make sense? This is, that's how this story shadows the risen Christ. Because Jesus does, the, the real Jesus is like, if you won't rest in me, there will be none. And if you don't find salvation in me, there won't be any. So, 
with that said, great, I got lots of time. Praise the Lord. Did you know you're full? Full of Jesus? By faith in Him? It's true. So the New Testament takes this idea of Sabbath rest and it says, look, you're in Christ. You don't, you don't have to live under this. You're not looking to Sabbath for salvation. It's in Jesus. In fact, there's nothing you can add to your salvation or who you are by Sabbath keeping because the fullness of God has filled you in Christ. But it takes it a little bit farther in the book of Hebrews. In uh, the end of chapter 3, and I think all of chapter 4 of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uses this idea of rest and Sabbath rest to encourage the Christians in this situation to not give up on Jesus, to fight the fight of faith. Because this is a Jewish church. They would totally understand Sabbath keeping. They've probably been doing it their entire life. And there's some persecution going on. Maybe they're being rejected by other Jewish people. Maybe they're being shut out of community. Maybe um, local authorities are oppressing them. Not totally sure, but he's written to them to fight for them, to stay true to their faith in Jesus and not go turning to other things. And so one of the things he brings up is he wants to say that the true rest of God is for those who will fight the fight of faith. And so he doesn't, he's not emphasizing the fact that you right now can rest in Christ. He's saying in order to follow Christ, there, there needs to be some, some holy fighting. And so he says to them, oh, it's such a long passage. I would love to read the whole thing. He says, this is verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, So then there remains a Sabbath, Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore enter, sorry, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the picture he's been painting in this chapter. I'm sorry it's so long. I would love for you to read it. He's been talking about how the people of God were walking in the desert right after they got delivered from Egypt. And God God says, I'm bringing you into the promised land. I've got this land prepared for you. It's flowing with milk and honey. And this is the real milk. I'm going to do it again. Sorry, skim milk people. Skim milk is not real milk. It's just, you know, if you were painting your house white and you rinsed off your brush in turpentine, it looks exactly the same. Something wrong with that. It's like, that, that, did that really come out of a cow? I'm not sure. Real milk, like the full cream still in there, like where, where if you have a, a little drink of it out of a cup, it's like you've got this big white mustache because it's so full. Anyhow, this country is flowing with milk. It's flowing with honey. These are the, like the signs of rich eating. Everybody, the promise of God was everybody would be just resting under their own vine, which means everybody has their own winery. And this is not some you brew where you mix a powder in a jar. This is like the real grapes and doing the whole thing and it tastes like your kid's feet because they were treading the grapes in the wine press. And Excuse me. And, and the promise would be as they were faithful to God, he would defeat all their enemies every time. Some army would come up and be attacking them and they would just send out the weak and feeble. They'd send out the Robert Balfour's to do the defensing and, and we'd all win. Like all the scrawny, not sporty types. We'd just come back and be like, I was doing backflips and God would just be with them for victory. And this promise that as they went into the promised land, 
God would be fulfilling this Eden, this heaven on earth for them, this promise to bring them back to the garden and to, to restore what was lost with Adam and Eve. But they got to the edge of the promised land and they sent in some spies. And when the spies came back, two of the spies said, we can do this because God can do this. And 10 spies said, what? There's giants in the land. We can't do this. And they convinced the people not to go in. They convinced the people not to enter into the rest of God. And so the author of Hebrews is using this picture and saying, hold on to your faith in Christ. Don't be persuaded away from entering into the promised land. Lay hold of the promises of God to enter into the rest of God. And I think he's doing, hitting a lot of different things. He's hitting both eternal life, like don't let anybody rob you of Christ so that you can enter into eternal life. But I think he's also hitting the day-to-day stuff, like your neighbors are going to try to make your life uncomfortable. Do not let them keep you from staying in the peace of resting in Christ. And this is important for us because I know you struggle with anxiety and I know you struggle with insecurity and I know you struggle with financial worry and I know you struggle with what your neighbors think about you and I know you struggle with what your coworkers think about you and I know you struggle about getting up in front of people and sharing a word at church and I know we have all of these reasons to not just go forward into the rest of Christ and deal with things. Okay, and so sometimes there is a fight for the rest of Christ because sometimes we have issues, right? We have like relationship problems and sins that won't go away and stuff. And, and I think God calls us. He says, you've got to fight the fight of faith. It means walking in the light with people. It means learning scripture so that you believe it, not just so that you get a sticker when you're in Sunday school. Did you get any stickers? I bet you did. And you know, it's not just doing it to be righteous. It's laying hold of the word of God for power. It's doing what God says so that you can get free. It's walking in humility, walking in relationship, walking in the light, confessing your sin, believing God's word, doing what you've got to do in faith in order to end enter into the rest of Christ. And I'm not at all disregarding the fullness of Christ in here. Most healing and most freedom on the inside of us comes when all of a sudden the lies are exposed and we start believing who God really is and what he really thinks about us. And then all of a sudden we're a lot more free than we used to be. Amen? So I'm, I'm talking two perspectives on the same thing. Believing who you are in Christ is entering into the rest of Christ. And fighting the fight of faith to enter into the rest of Christ is resting in Christ. Did I tell you that you're full in Christ yet? I don't remember if I did. Did I mention that God has done everything for you in your Lord? Oh, Christian. I love you guys. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. Sometimes I look and make eye contact. I'm like, they're going to think I'm talking about them. The next thing I say, I'm not doing that right now. Oh, Christian, do you know your Jesus is so big, so much bigger than we know. He's so huge. This is part of what Paul is trying to do is he's saying, don't let anybody tell you anything that steals your rest in Christ. He goes to him right at the beginning. I love the beginning of this letter in chapter 1. He says, you know what, you're Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? You look at Christ. He is the firstborn, meaning the place of preeminence over all of creation, for all things were created by him. Whether things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, all things were created through him and for him. And he is the beginning. And in him all things hold together. You want to, wonder, want to know why the planets keep moving around the sun? want to know why we haven't been destroyed by a meteor yet? 
You want to know why we haven't just fallen into political chaos? You don't want to know why we're not killing each other right now? You want to know why physics still works and chemistry still works? And you know that every time you press a button on your phone, it does what you expect it to? Because everything is being held together in the Lord Jesus Christ, who made everything and upholds everything and is the point of everything and is worthy of everything. Jesus Christ is also the head of the body of the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. He's the beginning of the resurrection so that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, through his body, through his cross, through the blood of his cross. This is your Jesus. This is your Jesus. One of the things that I love, we went to uh, Brother Young speaking at Southland yesterday. Don't tell anybody, I went to Southland yesterday. It was okay. Pretty good. Don't tell the church. And they have a job opening. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I I couldn't resist. Anyhow, we went there to hear Brother Young talk. And it was just funny because he was talking about this time when he was young. He's like 16 years old. And he's praying to Jesus. And he he heard Jesus talk to him. And the comment was, Jesus spoke fluent Cantonese. And I just loved it because it's like, of course he does. You think he invented one language he isn't fluent in? Like he'd be bumbling. He'd be like, up, 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 oh man. Uh, how much English do you know? Uh, bathroom, do you know bathroom? Uh, like Jesus would ever stumble over anything. He made everything. Everything. And he's the Lord over everything. His resurrection from the dead wasn't just like a, res- a resuscitation, like when somebody hits their head and they get, the, uh, and they get hauled out of the water, and <laughs> like in TV when they spit out the water and they come back. He was resurrected into an eternal life and sent to the throne of heaven where he is reigning right now. He's reigning right now from heaven. Total authority, total control. Guess what? You're seated in him. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like you're not one of the in crowd because you're sitting at the back instead of the front? Sorry, back people. I know you like it. Do you ever feel like you're not in the in crowd because you're sitting at the front and not at the back? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm leading today. I've got to sit at the front. I just want to sit in the middle so I don't get hit with Rob's spit flex. <laughs> you're seated in heaven, in Christ. People should be jealous of you, except that everybody here still has what you have too. Amen? So what I'm trying to say, one thing leading to another and wrapping it all up, is that the Sabbath is about resting in Christ, everything he is, everything he's done, and that it's all freely yours. Taking your heart to Christ and and just relaxing. And getting to the point that it is a gift to actually join in a Sabbath as well. Because we're creatures and because we love Jesus, it is really good and wise to have a Sabbath rhythm in your life to take time where you actually do rest, to be with God, rest to let your body rest, rest to prove that you're not a slave, you're not like an an Israelite living in Egypt where you have to work every day or you're dead. You just take time to be with God. I'm not saying take time so that you can watch all of Star Trek The Next Generation on Netflix in one fell swoop. That's spiritual death right there. I'm leaving Star Wars alone for one sermon. 
But I would encourage us, because we do live in this culture that's just like, there's always more to do. There's always more to do. There's always more to do. There's always another game. There's always another sport. There's always another event. Have you seen this movie yet? Have you gone to this thing yet? Did you go skating on the forks yet? Because the snow's going to start melting, or the ice is going to start melting. Are you going to do? Are you going to do? Are you going to do? And there's such a wisdom and a grace in just knowing that my God has actually set aside a day. Maybe it's not Saturday. Maybe it's not Sunday. Maybe it's a Monday. My day off is on Monday. And what you do, and here's a wise way of applying the Sabbath. You just decide, what is my regular work day? For me, it's sitting around and answering emails. So if I did that all Monday, that wouldn't be a rest, would it? And I meet with people. So rest sometimes looks like mowing the lawn and baking some banana bread because that's not what I do every other day. And so people who are at home doing home care stuff, this is where you might need to do some negotiating with people and just saying like, okay, I don't want to cook today or vacuum or diaper change. Can you do this? And the other person who doesn't do that stuff, when you've spent a day doing those things, you're going to be ready to go back to work. So it's a win-win. This is one of these win-win-wins. Nobody, I actually expected people to laugh about that one, but nobody <laughs> did. The guys are just like, don't say that out loud. <laughs> I never said I'd keep it a secret. Why did you tell me that in that counseling session? (laughs) Time set aside to renew your resting in everything Jesus is. Christian Sabbath. Father, I thank you so much for this time, just being able to enjoy you and preach the glories of Jesus. God, I pray for everybody here who... uh, who hears about the greatness of Jesus and resting in everything he's done and just thinks, I can't do it. God, I pray that you just let us now even surrender. That is part of the rest, saying, I can't do this. It's like, yeah, I know. Why don't you just surrender? It's about not working anymore. It's not trying anymore. You give up. You lay down. You say, God, do the work. I can't do it anymore. So God, I pray that you do this, that there would just be this underlying resting in Christ, this surrender giving up our own works so we can trust in Jesus. Father, where we need to do the fight of faith, where we need to lay hold of ourselves and confess things we haven't confessed, walk with people we've been trying to not walk with, work on things that we've been hoping will get better on their own, would you give us wisdom and community together around these things so that it could be about Jesus, not about panic, not about self-righteousness, not about anything else but Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, would you work, supply your spirit, and do miracles amongst us in Jesus' name.